It's evening communion is this Friday at Calvary Chapel in the city. That means every Bible study, including the Tuesday night service, closes down. Only thing that continues is noon prayer and the prayer that goes on. And uh, the, the reason is, is we really want to focus on, on communion, just the importance of, of that blood which was Per, you, you, your purchase price was the blood of Jesus, is celebrating that, as well as the bread his, uh, representing his broken body. That is this Friday. It's at the uh, Ethiopian church where we meet every Tuesday night. We're praying for that church today, the Ethiopian church of Boston. What a blessing they are to us. And um, we are looking forward to that time. Today, also, there is a baptism today at Seven Hill Beach in Dorchester, McConnell Park. The information is in the bulletin. We are meeting over there at 1.30 p.m., and that sun is burning through the fog, and it's 72 degrees now, and just so you know, in August, the ocean water temperature in Boston was in the mid-60s. It's always cold. Now it's in the low 60s, but it's still in the 60s. It's plenty warm enough to get dunked. So it's an important time, baptism. Uh, I'm going to talk about that uh, a little bit more. You know, in, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, the very first message, the very first pulpit, where a, 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 a man was preaching a sermon after Jesus ascended into heaven. It was Acts chapter 2. And it was so powerful, the people realized that their own sin, which was, uh, which was the reason that Jesus was crucified. In other words, that mangled body on the cross, they caused it. And it was not only them, it was you and it was me. And they were so cut to the heart, they said to the apostle Peter, who was the one preaching, they said, well, what are we supposed to do about this? We have the guilt of the ages on us. We just killed the son of God. And Peter said, repent, be baptized, and you will re um, receive the forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 were baptized that day. So baptism is about grace. You know, if you, it's, it's, it's one of those things like everywhere else, grace gets torn away. Uh, there are churches out there that require a 10-week course before you get baptized so you really understand what you were doing. The problem with that, it's not in the Bible. The moment you open up your heart and say, yes, Jesus, come in as my Lord. I give you everything. I'm not holding anything back. Come in. The Bible says the Holy Spirit invades, possesses you, and you're his forever. And you can be baptized that moment. That's what grace is about. You, it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus did for you. But anyway, we're meeting over there at 1.30 p.m. Please join us there. There will be a, a testimony before, testimonies before the baptism.
But we are in Philippians chapter 1. We are going through Philippians. We are going through Philippians. And we are in verse 12. Stephanie, can you make a second trip up here with my glasses? It's the front um, pocket. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. This is Paul by the Holy Spirit. He says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren, meaning the other Christians, most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now go down to verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always so now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father showeth about that very thing this morning. Show me, Lord, so that I can represent it to your people that to live is Christ. What does that mean, Lord? Speak to us. We need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so we started off in verse 12, which says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me. So what does that mean, the things happened to me? We talked about this last Sunday. What does that mean, the things which happened to me. I want you to know that the things that happened to me, what had happened? Well, Paul had been going from city to city for years with a message. It was a message about Jesus Christ. And this was the message that God, the Father, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do for man what man could never do on his own. To do for you what you could never do on your own. And that was to obey the law of God. Every human being is required, sort of the, 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 the conditions of living, the conditions of entry are to obey the law of God. And Jesus Christ came to obey the law of God. God had given the law through Moses. 
And one of those laws was this, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. Cursed is the man, is the woman who does not obey all the law of God. And the curse was death and hell. That's Leviticus chapter 27, verse 26. Did you hear that? Does that make you shake in your boots? It should. This is a law of God. It says, cursed is the man, is the woman who does not obey all the law of God. So Paul went from city to city saying, Jesus Christ did two things. Number one, he obeyed all the law for you because you couldn't do that. Number two, Paul said, um, said this. He said, because you and me and everyone else could not obey the law of God and therefore were under, are under the curse of death and hell, as Leviticus 27, 26 says, Jesus Christ died on the cross and suffered death and hell for you. So two things. He went from city to city saying, number one, Jesus Christ lived for you, obeying all of God's law on your behalf because it was impossible for you to do so. And then number two, Jesus Christ died for you so that you would not have to suffer the consequence of not obeying the law, which was death and hell. So Calvary Chapel, don't Try to obey the law in order to be saved. Jesus Christ obeyed it for you. Put your trust in him and what he did for you. That was the message Paul took from city to city. The problem was many Jews were deeply offended by Paul's message. They were deeply offended by Paul's message. Don't try to obey the law to be saved. That's a terrible thing for anyone to, you, you, to say. You're trivializing our law. So what happened? Paul got to Jerusalem, and the story is in the book of Acts. He went into the temple. The people recognized him. They were so angry at him because they felt he was undermining uh, the, the, the Jewish faith. A riot was stirred up. Paul was arrested by Roman soldiers. Now remember, we're still talking about Philippians 1.12 here where it begins, I want you to know that what happened to me. I'm describing what happened to him. What happened was he went into Jerusalem, people recognized him, let's get this guy, a riot was stirred up and he was arrested. As he was getting arrested, Paul asked the commander of the Roman soldiers if he could speak with the crowd. The commander let him and he told the crowd this, it says he began speaking in Hebrew. They were so shocked that he was speaking Hebrew, it's like, whoa. This guy speaks perfect Hebrew like we do. And says, just a silence went over. The, the riot stopped and everyone was like, whoa, we better listen to this guy. And he began to speak to this crowd. And he told the story of when he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He had been killing Christians. 
And then everything changed because Jesus Christ met him. He was blinded. He was spent a few days and uh, spent a few days um, in Damascus. And it says that a man came to him and said this to him. And this is what Paul said to the crowd in Jerusalem: "Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away." by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, your sins are washed away not by trying to obey the law, but by calling on the name of Jesus Christ who, who obeyed it for you. And after saying that and a few other th things, the crowd got even more angry and out of control, the Roman soldiers took him back and took him away. You know, to this day, many, many, many religious people get angry when you tell them about grace. When you tell them that no amount of obeying any law is ever going to get you into heaven. It's all about Jesus' blood on the cross. You mean I can live any way I want and then like at the end of the day, end of my life just say the sinner's prayer and I'm saved? That is correct. The blood of Jesus, the Son of God, was that precious. That is correct. People, religious people get angry at this and, and just like these religious people, uh, they got angry at, at, at Paul. So he's arrested by Roman soldiers. Eventually, over the course of a couple years, he makes his way to Rome, put in prison there. And so when Paul says here in Philippians 1.12, where we began this morning, I want you to know the things that happened to me, that's what he's talking about. Is everyone with me? Uh-uh-uh. uh uh uh, okay, so he's now writing this letter in a Roman jail, okay? So again, it says in verse 12, let's just continue it there. It says, I want you to know, brethren, the things that which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Here's the New Living Translation right here. Let's get a different translation of this verse. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here, meaning in jail, has helped to spread the good news. That's important. We're going to talk about this. Has helped spread the good news. Again, what is the good news? Number one, Jesus lived for you by obeying all God's law on your behalf because it was impossible for you to do so. And number two, Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you would not have to suffer the consequence of not obeying the law, the curse of God, death and hell. And so uh, that's the message of the gospel that began to spread, it says in verse 12, because he was in prison. So why is he saying this? How could it be possible that being a prisoner has actually spread this news about Jesus Christ? The answer is in verse 13. It says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest 
that my chains are in Christ. So who is the palace guard? We talked about this last week. The palace guard are the Roman soldiers in charge of guarding the Roman emperor who at that time, who was the emperor of the whole known world. Notice at the end of verse 13, it says, my chains are in Christ. What that means, he's, uh, not only was Paul chained, he was actually chained to a Roman soldier. Again, we discussed this last week, that was the custom when a prisoner like Paul was in custody, they were chained to another human being. And so verse 13 says, the whole palace guard has heard about Jesus Christ. Okay, now listen up. If that was not encouraging enough for these Philippians who are getting this letter, who love Paul so much they had this real close relationship. Remember, in verse 8, it says that, that Paul hurt when he, when he thought about him. It, he loved them so much it hurt. That's how much they loved each other. He said, hey, d- don't, don't get all upset I'm in chains. Because I'm in chains, the good news of Jesus is spreading. But if, if, if that was not encouraging enough, Turn with me to the last chapter of Philippians. It's in your Bible to the right. Last chapter of Philippians. He's signing off the letter. And in verse 22, it says, all the saints. Now a saint is just a person who believes in Jesus Christ. Any of you who believes and have given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are a saint. He says here in verse 22, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Who was Caesar? The emperor. There's people in the emperor's household who are now followers of Jesus because Paul was in chains. That's a big old wow. That's like saying, that's like saying the, the people, it, it, we, the, all the Christians greet you. Someone writing from Washington, D.C. say all the Christians here greet you, especially those who live in the White House. Now that's a big deal. I mean, Christianity at this point, it's just a ragtag group of people, but it has power. It has power. Paul said to the Corinthians, I came to you weak, trembling, not with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. And this thing is spreading because of Paul in his chains. So how exactly did that spread? How did it spread? How did it spread and, and we talked about this last week. Number one, it was just the power of the message that Paul was giving. The Bible says that the message of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ is so strong when it goes out, it does not come back empty. That's how much power, it's a, it's a spiritual thing. I I, I pray every week, God, please uh, fill me with the Holy Spirit because if it's just words there in Longwood Hall on Sunday morning, those words are going to bounce right off the walls. What I need is a demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. Well, his message was powerful. These soldiers, remember, were receiving this message 
living under the weight of guilt and shame that was just crushing them, working for one of the cruelest, most sadistic rulers, most sadistic people who had ever lived. I mean, Emperor Nero, who was the, uh, the emperor then, he's in the same conversation as Adolf Hitler. I mean, if you do study with this guy, it is incredible what that man did. Just cruel and sadistic. And here these Roman soldiers, not only they witnessed this, remember from last week, they even participated, facilitated some of the crazy stuff that he was doing. Remember from last week, he, here's a man who, who, who castrated a slave and married him. And that is just the beginning of who Nero was. So reason number one this message spread was because he was chained to these Roman soldiers. Remember, there was a four-hour shift, so that's six soldiers a day. For two years, he was in a Roman prison for two years. That's hundreds of soldiers he's sharing this powerful message to, soldiers that are just living under the weight of guilt, and they're told by Paul that the guilt is, can be lifted in Christ Jesus. And this thing starts spreading right into the house of Nero. But there's a second reason it spread, and that's what I want to talk about today. There's a second reason that message spread. And the, and, and the reason is this. There was no doubt to those Roman soldiers that were chained to Paul that the man giving them the message, Paul, was from God. Now, how do, they know, how do they know that? How did they know he was from God? Because he was filled with joy in circumstances that they had never seen anyone filled with joy in. And how do we know that he had joy? Let's just read a couple verses. Just go to Philippians chapter 1. Remember, he's writing this, chained to a, a, a Roman soldier. Philippians chapter one. By the way, did we, if anyone needs a Bible, raise your hand. It's good. It, 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 we don't have Bibles? No Bibles. We ran out of Bibles. That's a good problem to have. Let's order more Bibles. Wow. Okay, because if, when you receive a Bible from us, you can just keep it. And as long as you read it, you can keep it. So it says in uh, Philippians 1, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy. So these Roman soldiers, they're seeing a guy, he's got a prayer life. He's got a spirit of prayer. The prayer doesn't stop. And the prayer life is characterized by joy. Now go to chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Philippians says this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now go to chapter 4, verse 4. Famous verse. Every one of you should be memorizing this for Scripture Memory Day. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. 
Rejoice in the Lord always, even when you are chained to a Roman prisoner. So, so this man uh, is, is, is filled with joy. They're looking at it. So important, Calvary Chapel, because this is for you. Listen, how is it that Paul is able to have joy? How? How is it? I'll just open that up. How is it that Paul can, uh, is able to have joy? He's chained. Can you imagine being in an elevator with a stranger? The stranger throws a handcuff on you and says, I'm sorry, we're going to be together for the next two years. I mean, come on. Who are you? What are you doing? I don't like your cologne. I don't like your BO. This is, I'm out of here. No, you're not. I'm handcuffed to you. He was chained to another human being. And he's filled with joy. We'll have more on that. How is he able to have joy? Someone shout it out. I'm waiting. Okay, Jesus. Okay, that, that you are correct. Anyone else? What's that, Aurelius? The Spirit of God who dwelled in him. By the way, the Bible does not teach, God does not teach that everyone's just born with a, a spirit in them of God. The Bible says that you become a child of God when you give your life to Christ, and at that point you receive the Spirit. For the furtherance of the gospel, and, and that gave him joy. Uh, that's correct. But here's what I'd like to say. And this is so important. This is what I want to become part of your DNA because the same thing applied to Paul applies to you. How is it that Paul was able to have joy and the reason was because God really, really, really wants him to have joy. Now, I, I can't possibly, I can, I, it's almost impossible for me to tell you something more important than that. God really, really, really wanted Paul to have joy. And you say, what? Really? Why? Why does God really, really, really want him to have joy? Because when Paul has joy, especially in circumstances that no, no, no normal human being would ever have joy, the glory of God is just manifest for everyone to see. What did we say last week? That means the glory of God. The glory of God, what does that mean? The glory of God is that part of God that when man sees it in nature, in circumstances, or in you, Someone looks at it and cries out, God is real. God is awesome. I see it in that person. They may not be saying it out loud, but there's something in them. Okay, now this is strange. I haven't seen this before. And that's what's going on with these, with these Roman soldiers. Case in point. He's, Paul is chained to a Roman prisoner, a stranger. Not a formula for happiness Imagine being a Roman soldier. This is your job. I mean, this, you've been doing this your whole life. You've been guarding prisoners chained to them. Imagine what you see time and time and time again. The prisoners complaining, 
angry, miserable, cursing, wishing they would die. Man after man after man after man. That is what you see. But now a new man comes in. He's filled with joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Remember, he's dictating this letter. Someone's writing it for him. You'll see that at the end of the letter. The, the Roman soldiers listening to this, rejoice in the Lord always, even when you're chained to a Roman soldier. And, and, and so the Roman soldiers are seeing this. And let me tell you, something inside of them, probably not audible, but at first, at first at least, something inside of them is going, there is a God, this God is awesome. And he is inside of this man. Now go down to verse 20 with me. Please go down to verse 20. It's a little difficult to understand, so stay with me. I'm going to take it nice and slow, okay? It begins, verse 20, saying this. According to my earnest expectation and hope. That means this is my life's passion. What's his life's passion? Verse continues. That in nothing I shall be ashamed. Meaning, I'm not going to be ashamed of these chains. Humiliated or in any way lose my joy, even if I'm chained to a stranger. The verse continues. Philippians 1.20. It says, but with all boldness, as always... So now also Christ will be magnified, meaning glorified, in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, 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 and so uh, this is what is going on here. He's, uh, he's uh, joy, he's saying Look, this is my life's passion. This is my life's passion. I, in nothing shall I be ashamed. In nothing. Not at all. Nothing. Even these, even these chains. And, and I'm doing all of this with joy so that Jesus Christ is magnified. So he's glorified. So not only is Jesus glorified, by the soul-saving, glory-filling, life-empowering message about Jesus spreading to the whole Roman guard, then right into the household of the emperor, members of uh, uh, emperor's Nero's house, uh, they were being saved. Also notice from our verses that not only were the Roman soldiers and the emperor's um, household affected, but also other Christians there. Observing what was going on, observing this man with joy, thinking about their rinky-dink little trial at home, which they complained about, this man is filled with joy, and the other Christians observing this, it really, really affected them. Let's go back to verse 12. So go back to verse 12. Let's read 12 and 13 again, and then, and then move into verse 14. Again, it says, but I want you to know, brethren that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now, now here we go in verse 14. 
and most of the brethren in the Lord, meaning the Christians that are around me, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Oh, the effect of a life which is willing to live by God's command, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Calvary Chapel, I don't know if you've ever heard this message before. If you've been with us for a number of years, even a few, you've heard it. God, the Bible teaches, that God really, 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 really wants you to have joy. That's what the Bible teaches. Why? Because when you have joy, especially in circumstances that no normal human being would ever have joy, God is glorified. The world will look at it, your family, your neighbors, your friend, a stranger in the tea, and say, his God is great. Her God is great. Listen to me, so important. When God really, really, really wants you to have something, you're going to get it. You understand that? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, if we pray according to God's will and he hears, you will receive. He really, really, really wants you to have joy because when you have joy, especially in really hard circumstances, he is glorified. So are you chained to a husband that does not love you? Are you chained to a wife who does not love you? Maybe you're chained to a not okay roommate. Maybe you are chained to a boss who's like Emperor Nero. Uh, or, 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 or you're chained to circumstances that are really, really, really hard. You're chained to them. Listen, if you stand around and complain about it, if you go to the water cooler and you're yakking about your boss, no one's going to be interested in your God. No one. If you walk around all miserable, moping around, you know, look what's happening to me, no one's going to be interested in your God. But if you have joy, people look at you and say, that's not normal. His God must be great. Her God must be great. So you ask, okay, so how do I get that joy? There's about 200 verses in the Bible about this because this is really, really important to God. It's really, really important, but it starts with this very basic thing. 
The first thing is to know that God really, really, really wants you to have joy. Why? Because your joy brings him glory. The second thing is to know that God has promised that joy to you. Do you hear me? God has promised that joy to you. John chapter 15, verse 11. This is the end of Jesus' public ministry. These are among his last words. He says this to his disciples in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And then, two chapters later, he's praying to the Father. Jesus, the Son, is praying to the Father. What does he pray for? Your joy. That's what he's praying for. Your joy. He says this, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. So when Jesus Christ is praying something for you, and that, that's what he's praying for you. Can we have that back, John? And, and this is what he's praying. It's going to happen. How do you get it, though? You seek hard after it. You seek hard after it. John chapter 6, verse 35 says this. And Jesus said to them, and that includes you. Everyone look at me over here. That includes you. Everyone look at me. It includes all of you. It includes all of you, all of you, all of you. He said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And never means never. And so it's coming to Jesus, and it's not playing around. And if you got on your face, Jesus got on his face, by the way, when he prays. And he says, I'm caught. And you say, if you do this, you're going after the bread of life now. And again, Jesus said, he who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. I'm coming to you, Jesus. You've promised that if I come to you, I won't hunger. I believe in you, Jesus. You promise that I, if I believe in you, I will not thirst. You see where I'm at. I'm chained to this woman. I'm chained to this man. I'm chained to these circumstances that are making me miserable, depressed, hopeless. You said that you would give your joy because you are glorified when I have joy. And, and, and so especially being chained in these circumstances, would you please give me joy, Lord? Are you willing to be raw like that with God? Are you? Then don't come to me. I love you, but don't come to me and complain. I'm depressed all the time. Don't do that. Listen, I know what depression is. I come from a long line of chemically depressed people back generations. If anyone knows about depression, I am telling you, it is me. But I know that what God really, really, really wants from me is happiness. People distinguish happiness and joy nonsense, not in the Bible. It's an actual feeling, it's an affection. An affection, a feeling for the Lord. Wow, you are God, thank you, Lord Jesus. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. You, if you don't take Jesus seriously, 
I think you should take him more seriously than C.S. Lewis, but people usually take C.S. Lewis really, really seriously. Look at what C.S. Lewis says. The pursuit of happiness is the most serious business in the world. You should write that down. It's the most serious business in the Lord. Why? Can we have the next quote? Because God is most glorified when you are most joy-filled in him. Now, John Piper, who, by the way, man, I owe the guy my life. Don't agree with everything he says, but he's taught me so much on this. I, I, I tell you, I'm so thankful for that man. Can we put that back up, uh, John? Uh, John Piper says God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. But I really prefer using the Bible's language, which is God is most glorified when you are most joy-filled in him. So I want to close out. I want everyone to go to Mark 14. Mark 14 changed my life 10 years ago where I was teaching on either... I was teaching either, it's the story of the woman with the alabaster flask. She pours it out on Jesus. And uh, I was either teaching uh, on Mark 14 or I was teaching on a parallel verse. And <clears throat> some of you have heard this before. This bears repeating a thousand times. If I taught this every Sunday, it, w it, it wouldn't be inappropriate. And, and I really mean that. So Mark 14, <clears throat> let's read it together. Verse one. Actually, verse three. Let's go to verse three. This is speaking of Jesus. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, that's like a jar, a clay jar, a very costly oil of spikenard, and then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Verse four. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For it might have been sold for 300 denarii, which is 300 days labor, wages for 300 days, and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish you may, and whenever you wish you may do them good, but me you do not have always. She's done what she could. She has come before to anoint my body for burial, and then he says in verse nine, assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So I'm teaching this, either in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, there's a version of it in all, in all four gospels. Because he said, wherever the gospel's preached, this story's going to be included. And I'm trying to think, oh, you know, wow. Jesus is so pleased by how much this woman loves him. What can I possibly do to make him 
so as happy as he was with this woman. How can I love him? What can I do with my life that he is going to be so blessed the way he was blessed with this woman? And, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, Chuck Colson has a book on incredible missionary love stories, you know, going through the jungle for two weeks and establishing a church. And, 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 and I was thinking about bringing some of these examples uh, to church. But then the Lord, man, talk about Paul getting hit by Jesus on the donkey and knocked off with a bright light. The Lord spoke to me. And he says, he said to me, he said, you want to please me like I was pleased by this woman? Obey me while chained to those circumstances you are in with joy. The oil is the joy of the Lord. And from that time on, virtually every time, and I have a long history of depression in my family, chemical depression, virtually every time, we're talking 99%, going out, I pray a lot, I come back with joy. Because if I can please God by choosing joy, that gives me joy. And, and Calvary Chapel, by the way, this is a world that I'm describing which Jesus calls the kingdom of God. This is a world where you pluck your eye out, you cut off your hand, you cut your foot off because they're causing you to sin and sin robs you of your joy. And God's priority for you is that you have joy. So if you're in this room today and you're in sin, cut off that foot, pluck out the eye. God wants you to be joy. The most serious pursuit you have in your life is your pursuit of happiness, of course, in Christ. So I'm gonna call the worship team up at this time. I want to remind you that all Bible studies shut down this week. We're meeting this Friday night for communion. So important. Jesus Christ, by his blood, purchased that joy for you. It's a time. It's an open mic. People share their gifts. They give their testimonies. But you know, today is a baptism. Remember that, remember that statement that Paul shared with the crowd about his conversion. It was as simple as this. It was all about grace. Someone just came to him, and this is after murdering, leading a life of murdering Christians. Someone came to him, and they just said, arise and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And he was baptized that day. If you've never been baptized and you didn't come here today to, to be baptized and, but you have given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you should not delay it. It's all about grace. You, don't have, you say, I don't have clothes. We'll give you the clothes. <laughs> Baptism is a 
reflection of the glorious work of grace done in the life of a human being. If you've never been baptized, I'd like you to come up after the service. If you'd like to be baptized and, 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 or, or during prayer time, and you can speak with me. If you could rise now at this time, we're going to have a worship song. If you've been asked to pray, please come up. We are going to be talking a lot more about this subject of joy because the Bible says, actually the Apostle Paul himself says that it was his job with the church to stir up their joy in order to serve because the joy of the Lord is your strength, the Bible says. We're going to talk a lot more about that. But you've been, some of you have been hearing me and like, I don't know don't know what he's talking about. Are you confused? Could be because you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Without the Holy Spirit in you, there is no promise of joy. But I'll tell you this, Calvary Chapel, there's nothing out there for you. <laughs> the only thing for you is a life with Christ and obedience to the Bible with joy. So if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, please come up. It is a prayer of faith. But if you have given your life to Christ and you would just like someone to, to pray for you, I, 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 I don't know about this life that you're talking about, which sounds like a promise. It sounds like a guarantee. It is a guarantee of joy. And you'd like me to to pray for you or one of the other couples up here to pray for you, come on up. So let's close out uh, the service with, with prayer at this time and we'll see you at the baptism at 1.30. But right now, let's, let's close out in worship. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you for speaking to me, Lord. Thank you for giving me the privilege to share what you've spoken to me, these people that I love. And I, Father, you love them a lot more than me. So I pray, Father, that you continue the good work in them as we close out this service. In Jesus' name.